Let's go ahead and pray. We're going to get into the Word of God, continuing on in the book of Luke. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time together. And God, we ask that you might really speak to our hearts tonight. Minister to us as we learn your word. And God, may, may we echo the praise of Mary as she declared, my soul magnifies the Lord. Lord, we want to magnify you too in our lives and rejoice in who you are and what you've done for us. So we just ask you to meet us here, give us understanding. And uh, Lord, we pray that you might encourage those who are discouraged. Lord, that you might empower those who are weak. Lord, that you might transform those who are hanging on to old ways and an old life. God, we thank you so much for your goodness, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Now, depending on your age, uh, this question may not be so relevant for you, but but I know where I'm at today as a young person. uh, Just kidding. Uh, when I ask the question, you know, can you look back in your life and see a decision or a moment that had a life-changing direction for you? That, that moment where you either made a decision or God did something in your life that just completely changed the trajectory of your life. Um, I, I know I can say that for me. Uh, when I was uh, 19 years old, uh, and I really became born again and, and prayed to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And shortly after I had that call to go into ministry, I never realized what God would do or how he would so change the trajectory of my life. Uh, and it's, it's just been a wild roller coaster ever since. But I'm sure you can think of those moments in life looking back going, man, God really did something different at that point, or I made a bad decision and something different happened in my life, or maybe it was a good decision. Whatever the case is, well, this, this evening, as we get into the birth announcement of Christ to Mary, we're going to see a life-altering moment in Mary's life, a whole trajectory change as we look at this text. Now, we're going to try to finish chapter one. I don't know that we're going to be able to do it tonight. We'll see, we'll see how we go, but let's go ahead and go to chapter 1, verse 26, and uh, we'll start there in the text this evening. Now, in the sixth month, now let me pause there for a minute, sixth month of what? Well, that's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Remember last week we looked at John, John the, the announcement of John the Baptist. So in that sixth month of her pregnancy... Uh, this is where this story picks up. Uh, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Now, I want to remind you who this angel is. We met him last week as Zacharias was in the temple ministering. He was uh, uh, making, uh, burning the altar of the incense on the altar as he went in to minister. And there the angel Gabriel had appeared to him and told him that, that although he and his wife were well beyond childbearing years, 
they were going to have a son. And, and the angel proclaimed who that son would be, that his name would be John, and that he would be a prophet of God. He would be preparing the way for the Lord. And so, and then when uh, Zacharias, if you remember, asked, well, how will I know these things will be? The first response of Gabriel was, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I just love that response. Like, why are you even asking this? I, I stand, and how different the view from heaven is versus our view. But, you know, the angels in heaven, as they stand before God and they see everything happening, they're just, yeah, of course this will be. God said it where we're like, well, how do I know? You know, uh, but Gabriel, we also met in Daniel before. That's the other places where this angel is mentioned in the book of Daniel and where as he brings these prophecies, both in Daniel chapter 8 and Daniel chapter 9 to uh, the prophet Daniel. Well, it, it says that he came to the city uh, of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, for a long time, they saw, thought that Nazareth didn't even exist. This was a backcountry town. This was a small town. Archaeological uh, evidence revealed that during the first century, there was only one well there for the people of Nazareth. It's a really small country town. Nothing really notable. The, 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 this is actually the first time in the Bible the village of Nazareth is even mentioned. So uh, let me kind of uh, explain it this way. You know that town that you're driving along a highway and you blink and you go, oh, wait, that's a town. And you go, well, who would live out here? That's Nazareth, okay? Uh, that, I mean, it just, it's just out there, you know. And uh, it, it was halfway between the Sea of Galilee and Mount Carmel and uh, just the middle of nowhere village in the town. In fact, Nathaniel, when he is called, uh, he makes this quotation about Nazareth. In John 1.46, when, when Andrew tells him that, that Jesus is the Messiah, Nathaniel says in John 1.46, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And I, I think we can identify with that. Uh, you know, there's times when we've talked about places like Fresno, and some people say, no, it's Fres, yes, it's a great place to live. And we're like, no way, you know, or whatever the case is. But, uh, you know, so Nathaniel made that, that, that comment about the city of, Na- the town of Nazareth. So in this little town, there was a young woman, we don't know her age, some speculate as young as 14, which very possibly could be. She could have been older. We have no idea how, how young or uh, old she was at this point in time. But we read that um, this young virgin was betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, betrothed uh, does not mean married. Uh, it's, uh, it would be more in a way like our engagement. That would kind of be the idea of what, what's happening here. And there were three stages to a Jewish wedding. First was the engagement. That's where the dads would meet up and they would settle on any dowry, those sorts of things. And they would commit uh, both the son and the daughter to each other. That was the engagement. Then there was a formal, uh, and there was a formal agree- agreement made uh, between the fathers. Then the betrothal would come, and that was a, an actual ceremony that would happen. Uh, and there were mutual promises made that, that hey, 
my daughter will marry your son, and my son will marry your daughter, and this is what's going to happen. And that was a formal ceremony, but it wasn't marriage yet. Now, at that point in time, if that agreement was to be broken, there'd have to be a divorce, okay, Uh, even though they weren't actually married. And then the last stage would have been marriage, and that would happen approximately one year later, maybe even longer. The bridegroom would prepare the house, the place, get everything ready. He would come back and receive his bride. They would celebrate. They would consummate the marriage, and that would be the end of of the marriage ceremony. And so here we read in Luke that, no, she was betrothed, so she was in that, that formal engagement part of the marriage, and uh, she was promised to Joseph. Now, something important about this that we see is that, that look at it, it says, of the house of David. That's an important distinction. We're going to come back to that in a moment. I just want to point that out to you. And so uh, we read that she's a virgin, I want to talk about this word for a moment. Uh, Isaiah 7.14, if you can pull that verse up for me there, Logan. Uh, Isaiah 7.14. It says, we read this prophecy, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now you can leave that up for a minute, Logan. Emmanuel is God with us. Now, remember the Jews all throughout Jesus' ministry asked for a sign? They, they would use that as a way almost to reject who Jesus was. Well, show us a sign. And, of course, we know that Jesus all the time was performing miracles, confirming uh, who he was and his anointing. But they would always say, well, give us a sign. Well, let me just say this. Here in Isaiah, the prophet prophesies 700 years earlier, that God will give you a sign. Here's the sign. So I want, I want to say this, that even if the virgin being pregnant, conceiving a son, uh, that is sign enough for God to hold responsible his people to receive her, uh, Israel's Messiah. Because uh, he said, here's a sign. Now, there have been modern critics of Isaiah here who have said, well, you know, the word virgin in Hebrew doesn't necessarily mean virgin. It could mean a maiden. And that's been a, a popular idea that's circulated through uh, liberal theology for quite some time. And the word can, can be a little bit ambiguous, that's, but that's all Hebrew. All Hebrew has kind of some ambiguity to the words or can mean different things, and it's all about context. And so, so it's possible that someone could say, well, in context, what is this talking about? Uh, however, the New Testament, the, the Koine Greek, is very specific on this word. The word parthenos is, means one who is never engaged in sexual intercourse, a virgin, a chaste person. That is what the word means. There's no, no ambiguity to the word. And so when Luke confirms that this was the status of Mary at the time of this announcement, he, he, he's making sure that we understand that she is a virgin and that this is a miracle is about to happen. So there's three truths here about Mary that we learn. If you look at the text here, it says that, that Gabriel says, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. 
Blessed are you among women. Three truths here. First of all, highly favored one. That, that word is grace. Uh, God's grace upon you. And, and there's a very similar uh, wording to this in Ephesians 1, 6, but it's actually speaking about Christians, the born again in Christ. And, and what it says there in Ephesians 1, 6 is, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. And that's, uh, that's Ephesians 1, 6. It's very similar to, to the way this is worded. She is highly favored. Um, and, uh, and so we, we know that she's highly favored. We know that the Lord is with her. God's grace is upon her. And uh, she, she's blessed among women. Well, what makes her so blessed? Well, it's the fact that God has chosen her by his grace to carry, bring forth Messiah. Um, in fact, that was every Jewish woman wanted to be the mother of the Messiah. It, was, it would be a great honor to serve God in that way. It's a prophecy that goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. Remember when Adam and Eve had sinned and, and God responds to them with the consequences and he says, the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. That, that, it goes all the way back to there. And so from that point in time, everyone who, who understood the prophecies of God and every prophecy that was added, wow, wouldn't it be great to become the, the, the mother of the Messiah? Wow, what a blessing that would be. So here this unlikely place, there's this no-name girl who's given this great message that God's grace is upon her. I read, isn't it just like the grace of God to choose a poor, poor girl from a despised town to raise the greatest man in one of the least esteemed towns in Israel? Isn't that just like the grace of God? It, it, and what a picture it is of the humbling of God to become incarnate, to become man. Let's go to verse 29. Verse 29 says, But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. His name will be Jesus, Yeshua in Hebrew, which means the Lord saves, Joshua in English. And it, it was actually a really common name, uh, especially in the first century. But... Um, Notice that just like John in the prophecy to Zacharias, that God gave the name through the angel of what John's name was going to be, God specifically gives the name to Mary that here's what his name will be, Jesus. And we know in Matthew that God tells Joseph, confirms it with Joseph, the very same thing. This will be his name, Yeshua, uh, the Lord saves. It says he will be great, son of the highest or son of the most high. Now, I, I understand that that might be a little confusing, and there might be some misunderstanding with that terminology, even for Mary at that point in time. Uh, and of course, as this prophecy unfolds, she's going to understand it a little bit better. But for us looking back, we recognize that, oh, 
This, this is speaking of God, son of God. That's what we're speaking about here. He will be given the throne of his father, David. Uh, I want to call your attention back to 2 Samuel 7, 16. And back in 2 Samuel 7, 16, remember David wants to build a house for the Lord. And he started acquiring all the things. And he's going to build this house. And God in, uh, comes to him that night and says, no, you can't build it. And then as David is, uh, and then he tells David, but David, here's what I'm going to do for you. Actually, sorry, he sends uh, Nathan. I was getting that confused. Sends Nathan says, you can't build it. This is what I'm going to do for you. And he begins to share that, that God will establish David's throne forever. So in 2 Samuel 7, verse 16, uh, you got that? Yep. Um, it, it says, and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever, uh, we, we read in Second Samuel. So God gives this prophecy all the way back to David and says, I'm going to establish your house and your kingdom forever. Your throne shall be established forever. And so obviously uh, the, this is that prophecy coming to fulfillment, uh, that, that it is uh, Jesus who will fulfill that prophecy. And we'll, we'll see more in the Gospel of Luke how he's called son of David later on. Uh, also in Isaiah 11, 1 through 2, there's a prophecy from Isaiah. There shall come from the rod or, or the, uh, from the root, from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And we'll, we'll, we can stop there in that prophecy. But Jesse is the father of David. And, and that prophecy is reconfirmed after David's time. Remember David around 950 B.C., Isaiah around 7, 700 B.C., 722. You can kind of uh, put, put that prophecy in there. And so, so uh, later on, God reconfirms that, that hey, th- this, the Messiah is going to come from Jesse from the line of David. Um, it says that he will reign over the house of Jacob. Now, that hasn't happened yet, but it will happen. Uh, and, and the angel's announcing this to Mary. This is referring all the way, go up to Revelation 20. That's the thousand-year reign of Christ. Where will the throne of Christ be during the millennial reign? In Jerusalem. And, he will, and we'll see that he'll reign there. Uh, and then of his kingdom there will be no end, we're told. And there's a beautiful uh, declaration in heaven in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. This declaration goes out and it says, Then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. Now, This is also a prophecy given to Daniel in Daniel both chapter uh, 3, sorry, chapter 2, and then later on in chapter 7 of Daniel, where we read about this coming kingdom of Messiah, and so that that it will be forever and ever, that God will establish this kingdom. So, beautiful prophecies about the Lord Jesus Christ, and this revelation to who Mary is is uh, going to conceive in her womb. And then we go on to verse 34. Verse 34 says, Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? 
Now, again, there's confirmation from the mouth of Mary. I've never known a man. How, how can this be? So there's no question about, about, about who she is or her state as a virgin. Verse 35, and the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that the Holy One is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. And uh, so I love as Mary asks this question, how can this be? How can this be? The angel says, okay, let me help you out with this. First of all, God is going to do this work. That's the important thing to know here. And it's not like Greek mythology where Zeus would come down and have carnal relationships with a person. Uh, don't, uh, you know, there have been some that have said these things. That's blasphemy. Uh, that, that is not what happened. Uh, there, we see that it's an issue of the Holy Spirit. A conception by the Holy Spirit. He will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. And that's how it's going to happen. So how can we explain it any further? Nope. Can't explain it any further. I don't know how it worked. I just know that God did it. And I also know that, it, that he says um, nothing is impossible with God. Now, as he's telling her about how, you know, God's going to do this, he says, and here's a sign for you. Here's another uh, confirmation. Elizabeth, your relative, who Mary would know, and, and Mary would know she's beyond childbearing years, uh, she's pregnant right now. She's in her sixth month. So, so, so there's your confirmation, Mary, that this is going to happen. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Isn't that a beautiful, uh, a beautiful statement? With God, nothing will be impossible. I mean, think about the spectrum that that covers. When God says, nothing will be impossible, all those things that we are always limited by possibility, your salvation, you're a sinner. You, you've, you've broken God's laws. You've trespassed against him. You are deserving of death. And, and, and more than death, that because of your breaking of God's laws, because of your trespass against him, you, you, you not only deserve death, but eternal damnation or hell. That, that is your destiny. It's not a could be, a maybe. It's, it's, it's an individual's destiny, but with God, nothing is impossible because God intervenes in such a way that he both fulfills the law and paying the price for your sin and allowing you and I to have eternal life in Jesus Christ. That, that our whole trajectory, our destiny can completely change. That, that rather than being destined for hell as an enemy of God, now we have a destiny for eternal life and salvation. And more than that, that through the work of Christ, we become heirs with Christ. <laughs> we be, we're called children of God. All these things so totally change because with God, nothing is impossible. God can free you up from the, the chain of sin, the bondage of Satan, he can take you because no word of God shall be without power. Nothing is ever impossible with God. There's nothing which God is not able to do. 
because no event is impossible for God. No word, no promise of God can fail. Nothing is difficult for God. Not one word from God will prove powerless. There is nothing that God cannot do. For no promise from God will be impossible of fulfillment. Isn't that wonderful? That idea that every promise that God has ever made, he can fulfill. And he will fulfill in our lives. He'll do it because he said he would. And so what a beautiful confirmation to Mary is this angel is helping her understand these things. Now, we read verse 38. Then Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Boy, are these beautiful words from Mary. And this is where we really see, we begin to see who Mary is. Uh, first of all, she says, behold, the maidservant of the Lord. This, this is the, the word bondservant or, or slave. Behold, I am your servant, God. I'm yours. You do with me what you will. Uh, and, and I mean, when, when you think about the understanding of, of the idea of a, a, a virgin all of a sudden becoming pregnant and she's betrothed. And oh boy, there's going to be all sorts of hassles and problems. And no, Mary just says, behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Here I am. Here I am, Lord, use me. Just like the prophets, just like Abraham, here I am. Here I am. I'm yours, God. And, and it's such a beautiful response, no questions. Simply humble obedience and a wholehearted acceptance of the word that this, this messenger of God brought, that Gabriel, as he brought this message to her, just wholeheartedly she accepts it. And she's a beautiful example to us of what it means to be totally surrendered to God's will. Exemplary, Mary is, for us. Uh, and we, we should just take the, if you take one thing from tonight's study, this one passage, behold, the maidservant, behold, the manservant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And then the angel departed from Mary. That, that's a beautiful response to God. Now, there's one last thing I want to share about this birth announcement. We briefly spoke about Nazareth, and I want to share something interesting about the city or the town of Nazareth. Now, I'm going to show you the modern-day city of Nazareth. There's a, a picture of the modern-day city of Nazareth. It's, it's actually a pretty large city, and it's actually the, the kind of the tech hub of Israel. And uh, here's another picture. This is a, a picture of a church in Nazareth, and that church is the Church of the Annunciation. Uh, and it's a church that, that obviously uh, was built as a response, a, a, as this is where Mary, it was, it was announced to Mary that she was going to have a child. Now, I know that, uh, you know, throughout Israel and different places in, the, in Europe and everything, and even in America, you build churches and they say this is the church of, the, of whatever the case. But this church is actually very unique. And what I want to explain about this church, and you can leave the picture up for a minute, Logan. This church actually has six layers of archaeology just stacked upon one upon another. Now, whenever you have layers of archaeology stacked one upon another, those are usually confirmation of something important that was there at one time. And I know, like, for us, uh, we don't get real big on buildings. We're, we're more big on the word and the response to the word, not the building. But... Especially in Israel, sometimes the buildings have 
great meaning, depending on what the archaeological stack is. So the sixth layer is this current church that you see here. That's the sixth layer. The fifth layer was a church from 1730. Layer four was a crusader church. Layer three was a Byzantine church. Now layer two is where it starts to get interesting. Layer two was a synagogue dating back to the second century, a Jewish synagogue. But it wasn't just a normal Jewish synagogue. In fact, as the archaeologists were digging and they came upon the second layer, or this second layer, uh, uh, as they were digging, they, they noticed some unique symbols in this synagogue. First of all, they saw symbols of crosses in the synagogue. And then they saw the name, they found the name Jesus and the words, Rejoice Mary. So that was interesting because they realized that it wasn't just a normal Jewish synagogue. This was a Jewish Christian synagogue. That's what it was. Well, then they dug one more layer to layer one. And in layer one, they found a first century house. And in that first century house, that what was left was some cisterns, little caverns, and a mikvah. Well, what does a mikvah mean? Mikvah is a Jewish ritual bath. It means that Jews live there. That's who live there. So how is it that we have a Jewish house in the first century becoming a Jewish synagogue church in the second century and layer upon layer churches built? Well, I'll tell you this. The archaeological evidence of what we see, to me, really holds up the story here that that very well could be the place where Mary did receive that message from the angel. We don't know for sure, but, but certainly it's, it's quite interesting to, to see, see the, that a stack of archaeology. So I just gave that to you for your own, own edification. All right, verse 39. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that she, the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So this is incredible. We, we uh, read last week about the birth announcement of, of John and that Elizabeth would be pregnant. So when Mary shows up to visit Elizabeth, we see that uh, the babe in her womb leaps for joy. It's just amazing that the, the, the babe, uh, the, the baby John the Baptist, so filled with the Holy Spirit, was already recognizing who was in the womb of Mary. Okay, more than that, we see that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, we read. And, and uh, we, we're going to see this. It says, uh, Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. I'm not sure if you've ever been in a place where 
you believe God has called you to something or initiated something in your life, but then you start to question. Well, I'm not sure. Was it, did I really hear the Lord right on that? I, I know in my, in my life I've, that's happened many a time, and especially sometimes too, what's, what's followed up with that call is actually almost like some things that you're like, well, boy, that's, that's a hard hurdle to overcome. I'm not sure how this is going to happen. Maybe I misunderstood God's speaking to me in my prayers. Um, and, and so uh, I'm not sure about that. But then God starts confirming things. And uh, I, I love how Mary receives a message from the angel. And then, and then she gets this, as she goes to visit Elizabeth, here's this confirmation. And then uh, Elizabeth tells her, blessed is she who believed, because you're going to see the fulfillment of all these things that the Lord has told you. Uh, it's beautiful. Now, I want to spend a little time on this prayer because um, I want to make sure we at least get through Mary's song. Uh, not a prayer, Mary's song. So Mary responds in verse 46, and Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name, and his mercy is on, uh, is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. I'm going to stop there. This song of Mary's is so full of history in the Old Testament. I mean, uh, and actually, there's no direct quotation of Old Testament verses, but you find these things throughout the scriptures of the Old Testament. My soul magnifies the Lord. Certainly you can find them all through that, that statement through a few different psalms. My soul magnifies the Lord. Now, I, I want to point this out to you. Elizabeth has just confirmed what Mary heard from the angel. Mary heard it from the angel. The angel told Mary, you're blessed. You're favored among God. And then, and then Elizabeth says, wow, I can't believe that you come even into my presence being the mother of the Lord. As she's speaking of the influence of the Holy the, uh, of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and then she tells Mary, you're blessed among women. This is amazing what God's done in your life. Now Mary's response isn't, <laughs> you all other ladies are losers. Look at me, I'm great. Her response is, my soul magnifies the Lord. I lift up your name, God. I mean, remember she said, you're a bondservant, God. Here I am, your maidservant. I'm your slave, God. I'm submitting to you in all things. And here as she's reconfirmed these things, she just says, praise you, God. This is what you have done. Now, there's a model here that Mary sets for us. Because it is true, Mary was, is blessed among women. There's no question about it. All Generations for future will say, wow, blessed is Mary. It's true. But Mary sets the example that we are to 
magnify the Lord, not the mother. It's important there. Because throughout history, this has been twisted. And I believe that this is an evil ploy of Satan to say, worship the mother, not the Savior. Put your worship to the mother, not God. And so Mary says, no, I magnify the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Mary needed a Savior. There, there is a, a Roman Catholic doctrine, the four Marian doctrines. And by the way, those doctrines of Mary uh, kind of were added throughout history. The, the most recent being like 1950s. Before that, it was the 18, late 1800s. But the, the doctrine of Mary, the first one is that, uh, well, I'm not going to say them in order because I'm not Roman Catholic. Uh, but obviously, the first one is Mary, the mother of God. Uh, that's one of the doctrines that she gave birth to the Son of God. Um, but the problem is that gets twisted sometimes in cultures that Mary is actually the mother of God, which is not accurate at all. God is her creator. The, the, then uh, we have that Mary was a perpetual virgin, that she was always a virgin all of her life, which we're going to see in the gospel here that, no, she had other sons and daughter at least a daughter. Um, the, uh, we'll see that um, coming up. The, then the, there is the idea that, that Mary was cleansed from all original sin. That came around in the 1800s. That if, because God chose her, he actually cleansed her from all original sin. And that's nowhere to be found in Scripture. In fact, her, Mary herself says, I need a Savior. I, I need this too. Uh, and then, of course, there's the uh, assumption of Mary that she never died, that she was just assumed into heaven. Um, these things aren't scriptural. They're traditional. You're not going to really find scripture to back these doctrines up. But with it, though, comes more reverence and worship of Mary than is of Jesus. And, and we see from Mary the, the emphasis is put on God. My soul magnifies God. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. He has regarded my lowly state, verse uh, 48, as his servant, not the other way around. Behold, henceforth for all generations will call me blessed. Yes, we will. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and his holy name. He's done great things for me and to magnify his holy name through me. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. This little virgin in this little podunk town, here he's, he's done. He's exalted the lowly. He's filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, and he has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. He's fulfilled his promises. There is nothing here that would tell us that we should magnify Mary or exalt her. 
we should magnify the Lord because God has worked it. Everything in her, her song is God has done this. God has done this. God has done this. This is what God has brought about. And verse 56 says, And Mary remained with, her, uh, with Elizabeth about three months and returned to her house. Verse 67. We're going to skip over down to verse 67 now as we... Oh, no. I'm not going to make it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we'll pick up at verse 67 next week. Well, let me just say this. In closing... Yeah, there's no way I'm going to make that. <laughs> Who wants to say to 8 o'clock tonight? Anybody ready? <laughs> uh, I got my diehards. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> anyway, uh, I, I think, uh, I, I'm not sure who originally said it, but I know I heard Chuck say it a lot. The mind can only endure what the seat can, right? <laughs> so <laughs> that's why we got extra comfy chairs for long-winded preachers. No, anyway, uh, I, I just want to encourage you as we, as, as we think about this, um, I want to encourage you to let your soul magnify the Lord. What has God done in your life? What has he brought about in your life? What is he doing for you? And and maybe you might be in the midst of trial, but you can certainly say, my soul magnifies the Lord in the fact that he's given me his Savior. And uh, we, can, uh, we can write songs about God just like Mary. And I want to encourage you to do that. Praise him. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Lord God, hold on, we got to pray, Jason. We're almost there. You announced it too quick. Not quick. Lord, we thank you so much for this word. And we thank you for Mary's wonderful testimony and and praise of you. Lord, what a wonderful example she is for us. That, Lord, when you call us to step out in faith, when you call us to go share the gospel, when you call us to obedience in you, we can say, you're bondservant. Here I am, you're bondservant. Do with me as you will, Lord. And so, Lord, forgive us for those moments that we've refused to become obedient to your will. Lord, where we've refused to do what you've called us to do, Lord, as your spirit has prodded us to share, to take part in, to serve. And and we've said, not so, Lord. Forgive us for those moments. May, May we take Mary's example and may we say, yes, Lord, here I am, your servant. Send me. We thank you, dear God, for this wonderful example from this young woman. And we pray, Lord, your blessing be on each and every one here in this room. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I just want to encourage you this week as you are in prayer and as your life comes in contact with the word of God, will you be able to say, behold, your servant is listening, let it be done to me according to your word, God. So when God calls you to forgive someone who's hurt you, when God calls you to go and share his gospel with someone who has not heard, a co-worker, a neighbor, a child, a, a parent, will you be able to say, let it be to me according to your word, God, because you've told me to do it, I will do it. That's my encouragement to you this week. Now may God bless you. May he keep you and may he empower you as he fills you with his spirit. Amen. Amen.